Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Midnight Narwhals podcast. I am one of your hosts, James. I am the more important host named Andy. You have done more episodes than I have. You are older than me. People tend to respond more positively towards my soothing, sonorous, baritone voice. And I appreciate you, uh, you carrying a little bit more of the load these last few weeks as I have made a major life transition and moving and all that fun stuff. So I just wish all those had ended up working out. <laughs> yes. Yes. We had some cool stuff in store for you guys, maybe in the future. We'll make it happen. We'll, make we'll it figure happen. it out again. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Well, awesome, man. I'm I'm genuinely excited for this one. I've had this one kind of in the can and ready to fire for a while now. This is, I think, our most recent one. It gets to modern day. Wow. Um, but it doesn't start in modern day. So I'm sure you'll have a lot to say about this topic once it becomes clear what the topic is. All um, right. I have given some kind of hints, late groundwork in our conversation before the record button was hit. Do you have a guess by any stretch of the imagination what you think I it might be? I do not. Okay, yeah. Because... I still I mean, think I was vague enough to not... You were extremely abundant. vague Yeah. because it's something that we have both experienced or gone through or something, but that could be such a huge, wide, vast array of events. I would be genuinely surprised people. if you haven't experienced this. Yeah, I've been through puberty, so if that's what we're doing. <laughs> yes, uh, today's episode is the birds and the bees, so... I've been waiting for someone to have this talk with me. <laughs> uh, you're on your, what, fourth kid now? So I think you know it pretty well, but... Well, there's that. Yeah, I'll cut that out. Um, <laughs> awesome. Well, um, yeah, let's go ahead and dive into today's topic. I'm going to ask that you and our listeners... Close your eyes. I mean, unless you're driving, but even if you are driving, take some time and trust. Close your eyes. We're going to go back in time to a simpler era, a time where movie night was preceded by a trip to a store. And instead of scrolling, no way, instead of scrolling through thousands of titles on your screen, <laughs> you would walk up and down many aisles only to come across the new release section and find out that the last copy of Independence Day is currently checked out. You'd have to settle for something that's already out or something you've seen before. Yes, today we are talking about not just video rental stores, but the mother of all video rental stores, Blockbuster. I can still see the blue and yellow carpet in my brain. The blue and yellow carpet, the old popcorn smell. I guess right. I just pipe that in. I don't remember them selling popcorn, but... Mine did, but maybe they all did. Maybe I'm just forgetting that aspect because my dad would never buy it for me. Yeah, neither can I open mine. my eyes now? Yes, yeah, you you can open okay. your eyes now. Yeah, I was following your following your instructions very yeah. closely. I just wanted that picture to be brought into your minds, and no one younger than me knows about block or like has experience or memories of Blockbuster, and even some people my age, whose parents just were like, "Yeah, we're not doing that." Like, don't have that experience. Like, it is unique unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And Blockbuster was one of those companies that you didn't think was going anywhere. Like it was massive. It's like if McDonald's went out of business today, that would be outrageous. Too big to fail. Exactly. And like I was telling you before I hit record, I've got multiple tabs pulled up on my computer 
that I've pulled uh, my information from. Also, there's a wonderful documentary on Netflix called The Last Blockbuster. I got a lot of info from that. It's really good. I recommend it. Wikipedia is one of my sources. Forbes is one of my sources. Little bits and pieces all around. But yeah, today we're talking about Blockbuster. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I don't know how to feel about this in many ways. Like there's some of the excitement of, wow, nostalgia. This will be fun. Also, there is a part of me that's like, really? We're talking about a store? Okay. But there's also so much nostalgia and everything else associated with Blockbuster, its rise, its dominance, its very quick demise. And, and there are stuff I know about the fall of Blockbuster that I'm sure is actually probably pretty widely held information that you're like, man, you boy, you all missed the boat here. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very interesting. So I, I'm excited to see where this leads us. Yeah. Because I don't know truly how, obviously I don't know because you're you're leading this, but I don't know where you're planning on taking it. And I'm excited to be along for this VHS ride. Yeah. Perfect segue. Actually, you saying VHS. The first Blockbuster video opened in 1985 in Dallas, Texas, with an inventory of 8,000 VHS and 2,000 Betamax tapes. Dang! Mm-hmm. So 10,000 tapes are in this this store, and Betamax was just the competitor of VHS that lost out. Like the 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 war, essentially the same thing. There's some slight variations there, but well, it's basically yeah. what we would, or I, and this might even be too early for you, but HD DVD versus Blu-ray. Yep, I I remember I have a few HD DVDs as well as some Blu-rays of various films. I I grew up having VHS films. Like I remember watching Shrek on VHS and like the green, it was a green plastic VHS tape. Like it was, yes. yeah, that got worn out in my day. That and, uh, and we'll talk, we'll talk more about this specific example later, but like the Titanic double VHS feature, my parents would take away the first half because it had the, the naughty scenes in it. <laughs> And so I would only get to watch the second half, which was still bad because it's people drowning and like um, frightening. But yeah. (laughs) So you're like, you never get to know any of the context of like the Titanic. You're just like, oh man, all these people are magically on a boat in the middle of the ocean and now they're all dead. Yep, pretty much. Until I was older and I saw the full thing, but I was like, wow. For the longest time, I just, I thought Titanic started halfway through the film basically <laughs> i think it would Why did like everyone loved this so much like i think the the first half starts with like billy zane like screaming at leonardo dicaprio about something <laughs> probably about like hey this is my woman and you have yeah you know all that yeah anyway you have drawn her like a french girl yes but those were my like most like prominent vhs tape memories um, the VHS actually uh, was created in the 70s, and the VCR, which is what you would play a VHS in for our younger listeners, was also created in the 70s. They weren't cheap. They were not. I would local. imagine they would have to be created at the same time. Yeah, you know. No, so the v- the VCR, they weren't cheap. Like, nowadays, you can buy, like, a pretty cheap DVD player for, like, 20 bucks. And yeah, Blu-ray player for maybe, like... 40 or 50 because everything is digital nowadays so like they're genuinely not expensive but and they're just phasing out oh we're moving past them mm-hmm. 
1975, VCRs were going for $1,000 to $1,400. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's when they were first introduced. Today, that and would, that's in that That's money. in 1975 money. In today's money, that would be $4,444 to $6,200. Goodness. Yeah. 10 years later in 1985, so after the technology had been around for a while, um, a VCR would, would be sold for about $200 to $400, which is around... 475 to $940 in today's That's money. insane. Very much I so. was born in 1985. Yeah, which is why like a lot of these video rental places, because Blockbuster wasn't the only one, it was just the biggest franchise, uh, would also offer VCR rentals. So you could go in there, rent a VCR and a VHS. That way, you know, you don't have to fork over time. Yeah. Front. I forgot that they used to actually rent out Mm-hmm. actual vcrs yep that's wild oh yeah it was wild that's a vhs v- vcr that's what this first blockbuster video is filled up it's just ten thousand of those which is a lot uh yeah because those are bricks like they're big uh, mm-hmm. compared to like dvds compared to any other form basically like they're it's a lot i'm trying to think through space wise in terms of 10,000 VHS how big? How big of a pyramid could you build with 10,000 VHS tapes? And also, like, how big does your store need to be for that? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I've been in a lot of blockbusters. I'm going, did any of those contain 10,000? Probably not. No, but I can't imagine that they would. See, like, by my time of going to blockbusters, VHSs were getting phased out so they were even getting just dvds and you could Mm -hmm. fit three dvds to every every one vhs at least i'd say so thirty thousand of those at least i'd say it's a lot it's definitely a lot lot. which and blockbuster was so unique too because they would market themselves by saying we have a hundred copies of everything so you will never hear from us we don't have it like I watched a lot of like old blockbuster commercials and many of them stated like, we've got a hundred copies of something. So don't worry about us running short. Cause like, it would be like, it would cut from like, you'd go to like your mom and pop, you know, home video store. And they'd say like, Oh, like I don't have it. I'm out. Oh, I don't have it. I'm out. And then someone's like, let's go to blockbuster. They've got a hundred copies of everything. (laughs) Well, that's how they get to 10,000 so fast. Yeah, definitely. Um, so like their, their selection, I'd say is probably less diverse, maybe not a hundred of everything, but still like a lot yeah, of, there's everything. no way, like, there's no way they had a hundred of everything, you but dirty liars. Well, because how, how, it, how they, how they did it is they went directly to the studios and said, Hey, if you get us a hundred copies of everything, we'll cut you in on the money, the revenue that we get. Because at this time, you think VCRs were expensive. How much do you think a VHS tape was going for? A VHS tape. A single VHS tape in 1985? Yeah. Um, I would have to guess around $45. On average, they would be between $75 and $100. Goodness gracious. Yep. 
And so most non-blockbuster video stores could only afford to get like three copies or so of each film, especially new releases. Mm-hmm. Would be a hundred bucks easy. And so let's say you're only paying nine bucks to rent it out. They have to rent out that film 10 times for them to make any profit. Wow. Blockbuster went directly to the studios and said, if you cut us a deal and give us a hundred copies of your new releases, we'll cut you in on the revenue from those rentals. And smart way to do it. That, no, it definitely is a smart way to do it. So we're going to talk through kind of how they started. Again, they started in, in 1985. That's when the first Blockbuster opened. David Cook is the man who founded Blockbuster, but he didn't start in the video industry or the home video industry or whatever. He actually started with something called Cook Data Services, uh, which was founded in the 70s. And that company's primary goal was to supply software uh, services to like the oil and gas industry. So like okay, running their computers and stuff, very different line of work. And it turns out he wasn't very good at it. It wasn't a very successful company. <laughs> And David's wife, Sandy, uh, wanted to get into the video rental business because it was taking off. You know, it was kind of like she she saw the future and saw how big this was going to be. You know, like you could print money if you base if you had one of these stores and it, it did well. Like did some research. She studied the industry and future prospects and using the profits that he made from the sale of his company, he decided to buy a video store franchise in Dallas uh, known as VideoWorks. Ooh, VideoWorks. Yes. World famous. Mm -hmm. So when VideoWorks would not allow him to decorate the interior of his store with blue and yellow, the future famous colors. Yep. um, Because he didn't buy the whole company. He just bought a stake in the franchise. He decided to leave once he found out that they were not going to let him run the store how he wants. So he left, he departed the franchise and opened the first Blockbuster under his own company, Blockbuster Video Incorporated. So he split because they wouldn't let him do the color scheme he wanted. Yep. Wow. Mm -hmm. But what if they just been like, yeah, that's fine. We don't care. Then we would be talking about the rise and fall of video works, probably not the rise and fall of Blockbuster. (laughs) So after like a year of him with his first Blockbuster, he left the oil industry behind and just was like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Found his life calling. Yep. Uh, So Cook's experience with managing huge databases actually really helpful in driving innovation within this industry. So like I said before, like he reached out to studios and would get like a hundred copies of some new releases. Like he was really good at keeping track of all this stuff. All, All these other places would have like a little booklet and say, okay, so you've checked out Terminator 2. Okay, let me write that down. That's going to be this much money, and I need it back by this date. It, it was like a book. Blockbuster was the first to integrate uh, like a computer system to run all that, and that's because of David Cook. All right. Yeah. He brought all of that tech knowledge, database knowledge, software knowledge, and helped make blockbuster what it is today or what it was at the time (laughs) thanks david you did a great job you've made it into what it is today he laid the he laid the foundation because there's where this is the david cook era of blockbuster history there's two other eras that were oh yeah wow for something that didn't even last 30 years i know right they have three different eras 
They do. So following early success from his, his company's first few stores, Cook built a $6 million warehouse in Garland, Texas. Wow. Those must have been some profitable few stores. Mm -hmm. To help sustain and support future growth that allowed new stores to open quickly. Uh, So it would be like just essentially a warehouse with, you want to start a blockbuster? Cool. I've got all the supplies. (laughs) All right. Like all the blue and yellow stuff is in this warehouse. (laughs) He was doing very well for himself. Apparently. Not two years later, in 1987, the co-founder of Waste Management, like the garbage company, Waste Management, Wayne... Iconic green. (gasps) Uh, Which blue and yellow together makes mm, green. Yep. Uh, Wayne Huizanga, who originally had reservations about like entering the video rental industry, he agreed to acquire several Blockbuster stores. At that point, the number of stores was numbering around 19... Nowhere near what it would become, but still doing very well for itself. It was very efficient. It was a family-friendly store. And another thing that set Blockbuster apart, I said family-friendly. A lot of other video rental stores would have like a blocked-off section for like... Oh, like behind the curtains? Yeah. Like... Yeah, legit behind the curtains. Like Oh, god. And so like anytime like you wouldn't go into a Blockbuster, you went into like your local video rental store, whatever... Video works. (laughs) Video works. Pacific Video, Coyote Video. There's like a bunch of like, you know, small stores. Uh, Yeah, there'd be that section that would be blocked off. Gross. Yeah, very gross. Blockbuster, like hard line was like, no. Like there's none of that in in any of our stores. Well played. It was a, yeah, they, as a business model, they were like, we're not going to have that. Like, this is for families. This is for people that enjoy film, enjoy a good movie. We don't need that. All right. That drew attention to other businessmen. So this other guy named John Melk, who was an associate of Huizanga. Melk? Um, Melk. M-E-L-K. Yeah. Melk. Yeah. Melk. Um, so like he's from the Midwest. Who says his last name is Milk. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Uh, so Huizenga John and- Malk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John Malk. Got it. Got it. So yeah. He's <laughs> stupid. <Hey. laughs> I'll stop. Thank you. So Huizenga and Melk utilized techniques from their waste businesses to rapidly expand Blockbuster. Soon they were opening a new store every 24 hours. No way. Oh, yeah. At the at, at Blockbuster's peak, there was a new store opening every 19 hours. That's insanity. It's wild. And it wasn't like ground up. Like they were acquiring like other video stores and saying, hey, we're taking you over. So we're just going to come in, slap some blue and yellow up on the walls, throw a big Blockbuster sign out front and get you in with all our systems. But we're going to acquire all of your assets. And so that's how they were also like obviously they're not building places up in 24 hours, but that's mm-hmm. how they were moving and expanding so rapidly. Um, wow. And this was again, all within the first four years of the company. It is exponential growth. Yeah, it is. That's, yeah. that's insanity. Mm-hmm. So they spent much of the late eighties acquiring several of blockbusters rivals including something called Major Video 
including video works include like i don't think they ever ah, got, suck at video works yeah I, I don't think they ever got to pacific video they might have which was a big franchise out west hence the name but yeah and in 1989, Nintendo attempted to halt Blockbuster's ability to rent video games, filing multiple lawsuits and lobbying the U.S. Congress to ban the practice. But they ultimately lost the battle, which paved the way for them to also start and continue renting video games. So like they were, mm-hmm. they were even getting their toes wet and other things. Like, what else can we rent out to these people? Like, cool. So we're renting VHS tapes, VCRs, video games. They're a big thing too. Let's rent those out. Like. They're lawnmowers. They're innovative. They were innovative early on. Would have been great if they kept doing that. (laughs) Yeah. Worked out fine though. Yeah. In 1990, Blockbuster bought Mid-Atlantic's or uh, Mid-Atlantic rival E-Rolls, which had more than 250 stores. So they just bought 250 new locations in 1990. In October 93, Blockbuster took a a controlling interest in Spelling Entertainment Group, a media company run by television producer Aaron Spelling. Blockbuster purchased Super Club Rental Entertainment Corporation. In 1993, they spent 5.2 million bucks on that. Wow. Yeah. Very innovative. Very early on. They are just, oh, what else can we do? What else can we do? Cool. Here's some money. We're printing money anyway. Like, basically, we want to buy it. We want to buy it. We want to buy it. They are very quickly becoming a staple and becoming the video rental place that you think of, which is, I mean, to this day, you think video rental, you think Blockbuster. Mm -hmm. So Blockbuster became a multi-billion dollar company in the first 15 years of of its existence. Wow. Yeah. So they're doing really well for themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, Huizanga, who had kind of brought himself in, he was a big player in the company at this time. Um, he was worried about how new technology could threaten their business. What? So, yeah, right. Impossible. Such as like cable television. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, they didn't need to worry about that. Cable, video on demand, stuff like that. And so in 1991, just three days after Time Warner had announced it would upgrade its cable systems, Blockbuster shares dropped more than 10%. Ooh. Yeah. And. Ooh. 1993, he made an attempt to expand into other areas of investing in Viacom. I remember Viacom. Yeah, Viacom. They're, I don't, are they around anymore? I don't think they are. They are around. Really? They own CBS, Showtime Networks, Paramount Pictures, Nickelodeon, MTV, Comedy Central, BET, CBS All Access, Pluto TV, Simon Schuster Publishing, among others. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, they still around. Interesting. So yeah, he started investing in Viacom. Huizanga also considered buying a cable company, like as Blockbuster. So it would just be the Blockbuster cable company. But that was a little bit too unknown of territory for them. So he decided not to take the risk. Uh, he also had the idea for a 2,500-acre Blockbuster sports and amusement park in Miami, Florida. What? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Something. So, so what's David Cook doing right now? He is. Like, is he just not a part of anything anymore? He, he is kicking back, relaxing, essentially. And his mountains of money. Yeah, basically, he is very hands off at this point. He, like I said, he laid the foundation, and then Huizanga came in and is like, "Great, I trust you with this company. 
just keep making me money. You're good with garbage. Here yeah. you go. Yep. And so this is kind of where we enter in the second era of blockbuster history. Okay. Now, Huizango was a big part of the first. He is also a big part of the second because, yes, he's throwing out all these new ideas and he's worried about new technology. And he was struggling, unable to come up with a proper solution about how to face these growing threats, like traditional video stores, which were even happening in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Stuff was changing. VHSs were becoming a little more cheaper to the consumer. So they weren't, you know, a hundred bucks anymore. Like you could buy yeah. them and own a little bit more. Same with VCRs. Again, they're they're still costly, but nowhere near what they were in the 80s. So he made the decision to sell Blockbuster to Viacom. As I said, Huizanga was a major part of the first chapter in in, in Blockbuster's life. And he was in the second, even though he wasn't as present. And what I mean by that is he, again, laid the groundwork for new great things to come, but ultimately left. But it's So he actually left and not just like sitting around lounging on his piles of money. Yeah, he left. So like I said, he was trying to think of like, what can I do? Like, how can I like help Blockbuster like kind of adapt and change and grow. So he decides to sell Blockbuster to Viacom in 1994. All right. Yeah. Viacom acquired Blockbuster for $8.4 billion. Goodness. Yep. Now, after he sold it, he pulled out of Blockbuster. So David Cook also no longer has any stake in the company anymore either. At least not from a controlling interest standpoint. Like he's the founder and he's still, he's got lots of money, but I don't think he's really making decisions at this point. Um, Huizanga was doing enough to where he could sell the company. So, and it's also public at this point. Um, Like, yeah, Viacom owns it, but it's it's being publicly traded on the market too. So there's that as well. It's no longer privately run or privately funded anyway. So yeah. now with that, Viacom took them on. Awesome. It was mutually beneficial, I'd say, but there was also hurdles on both ends. Typically works out that way. Yeah. Um, so Blockbuster's stock trade had been drop- dropping pretty steadily the months before the merger with a small rise right after the deal was announced. But the latter part of the 90s, its worth was estimated to have fallen from 8.4 billion to about 4.6 billion. Wow. So people think that Blockbuster's demise was just like, whoa, like what? Like, oh, I bet it's streaming. Well, like it starts in the 90s. And as we get closer to the third era, we'll talk more about that. But we still have some some kind of fun info to talk through there in the second era of Blockbuster. So in the nineties, they're trying new things, you know, they're like, Oh, so we, they're, they've got a new daddy company. And they're <laughs> is, daddy that com- the, is that the official term? That's the, the Viacom's the daddy company. That's what I'm going to say. And <laughs> their daddy company has money. So they're like, yo, daddy company, give us money. We want to try some stuff. And so daddy company's like, sure, here you go. And in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Indianapolis, Indiana in 1994, right after the merger, the Blockbuster Block Party concept was test marketed. All right. So this is essentially a casino, but... <laughs> okay, didn't but, that's not where I thought this was going. No, but I mean, it's it's aimed at adults, not like the, the back room of like old ones. No, not like that. But it was like an entertainment complex. So it was a building... The size of a city block. Oh, wow. 
inside this building contained eight themed areas housing like different restaurants, games, laser tag arena, a motion simulator ride, like giant Chuck E. Cheese surrounding like movies and other things like that. Like Interesting. But it was windowless like a casino is because uh-huh. you don't want your like customers knowing how long they've the been passage there of time yeah so they they test marketed that and it was later it was like eh, we're not gonna do that but they're like i said they got daddy company money they're trying some new things in the 90s blockbuster expanded overseas into the united kingdom they purchased that country's ritz video chain so it's not just a cracker over there it's it used to be a be a video chain so they brought Crackers that in film yep they were rebranded as blockbuster so there was even blockbuster in the uk and then there should have been then there was some relocation of their headquarters where do you think their original headquarters were andy i mean i would have thought somewhere in texas because the first store was in dallas texas yeah you'd think that so instead i'm going to guess somewhere in around boise idaho no no you're getting colder salem massachusetts no colder in i'll just tell you fort lauderdale (laughs) That makes so much sense. Right? Doesn't it? Like, Blockbuster. Yeah, I get it. Yep, yep. It's the Florida man of businesses. Yeah, they were in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Another thing that came with the all the new changes in the 90s was moving to Texas. Hey, we started in Texas. Let's go back to Texas. And so they moved to the Renaissance Tower in downtown Dallas in, like, 1996. Their official name changed. So they were Blockbuster Video. Then they were Blockbuster Entertainment. Then they were the Blockbuster Entertainment Company. Uh, then they were the Blockbuster Entertainment Corporation. And then finally, they just became Blockbuster. Like it was Interesting. a it was a lot of changes like that. Small things. Yeah. Important and, to someone. Important to someone like a lot of it didn't really affect the day-to-day operations of, of no. retail locations, franchise locations. I think a few of the name changes might have set, like one of them definitely, like they had to change their signs from Blockbuster Video to just say Blockbuster. Like I yeah. remember seeing like signs that had like the video taped over in yellow tape <laughs> and it just said Blockbuster. Some of the, I guess, the smaller franchises uh, that didn't really have corporate support or or weren't really in high traffic areas i Mm -hmm. guess like my blockbuster wasn't standalone it was in a complex like it was like a little strip mall it wasn't a massive store you you know where it is the store or the the town that i grew up in i remember there being like three blockbusters wow in town and there was one in like a little strip mall in terms like the regular this is the regular town. They built this brand new, uh, huge shopping complex north of town. And they built a standalone at the front of this gigantic sort of thing. And then like five years later, when stuff started moving more south of town, they built another standalone south of town as well. So we had three, all three different sizes, but... Yeah, we had three blockbusters, and I think they were all pretty heavily trafficked. Wow. Because I don't remember there being yellow tape over any part of any sign. That's, yeah, that's, because I know that that hometown. Like, I'm, at least I'm assuming you're talking about the one in Florida. Um, I am not. Oh, okay, never mind. No. Yeah. This was south of Atlanta. Okay. In in the 1990s, and it was booming. I believe it. 
like I said, like there, there was a lot of changes, I'd say higher up in corporate and ownership of the company changing hands, but like the day to day wasn't really changing all that much. The business model was working very well. And you weren't getting into the DVDs until late nineties, early two thousands. And so they were doing very well still financially. Oh yeah. For a company that was relatively still young in its infancy, I'd say. And that had like exploded exponentially. Oh yeah. Early on that foundation, that solid foundation that they had started off with was still holding them very well. We kind of reached the end of section two portion two the second okay phase in, in it. i know it's a short one it was the 90s it was the last half of the 90s mm-hmm. um a lot of changes there in june 1997 taco bell president and creator of the cheesy gordita crunch john antiaco <laughs> resigned from taco bell and became the ceo of blockbuster what a get for blockbuster i know they're like, man, this guy took a cheesy quesadilla and wrapped it around a taco. That's innovation. That's who we need running this company. We need that in our life. And I think everyone, every business goes with the idea of if you can get someone from Taco Bell, I mean, that that's your goal for employee. That's your golden goose. Like you are going yeah. to, you're, you're, you're not going to go bankrupt. You're going to be around forever if you get someone from Taco Bell. <laughs> That's what I look for in every resume for everybody that I do hiring for. I'm like, have you worked for Taco Bell? Okay, I don't even need to talk to you. Come on in. Yep. No, I guess like I guess it was a big get. Like I, I joked about the cheesy gordita crunch, but like he genuinely invented that, and it genuinely like boosted Taco Bell's like sales and and like helped them as a but company. I love that. Like he's basically bragging about something you know he did when he was drunk. I know. <laughs> you know he is drunk or, I mean, this is the 90s, so he's probably on some sort of cocaine. And he has got some sort of substance abuse going on in his life. And while he was high or whatever, <laughs> he was like, you know what we should do right now is I'm going to take this taco, I'm going to put this quesadilla on it. Mm-hmm. And that's how that, you know, that's how that happened. And I 100%. refuse to believe any other story of it. And yet there's another company who went, oh, this is our guy. Yep, that's our guy. So he took over as CEO of Blockbuster in 1997. That year, Warner Brothers went to him and said, hey, Antiaco, we want you to be the exclusive retail rental of our DVDs uh, emerging from like home video. So after theaters, they'll go to you and be exclusive rental for three months before wow. they go out to be purchased. I say three months, it was a period of time, but I, that was kind of what I saw a lot was mm-hmm. three month uh, name, which is a good amount of time. That's like that's a huge yeah, amount of time. That's that's about the theatrical run of a, of a lot of films today. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's a long theatrical run too. Um, yeah, that's of a really well yeah. received film. So the business genius that he is, he turned it down. <laughs> Well, they didn't approach him when he was drunk. So, He's like, no, Warner Brothers, I don't need that. We're going to be good. Everything's fine here. Yep. Someone bring me some more quesadillas. Maybe, and like part of the deal as well was that Warner Brothers was going to receive 40% of rental revenues in return, which maybe of that was just little, Warner Brothers properties. Of, yeah, of just his, of just Warner Brothers. Everything. Of just the Warner Brothers properties. Okay, but still, like, yeah. 
like I don't know, I maybe like that was that too would high to stay. Overall, end up being okay. I think I think they would have too. Again, hindsight's twenty twenty, um, and we're looking mm-hmm. at this like, yo, what the heck? Why didn't you do that? But unfortunately, that that, that was the decision. He they made. had the Taco Bell guy. So and this was no, and this was specifically for DVDs, like in ninety seven. Hey, like all of our DVDs will come to oh, you. Gosh. So they were they were saying we'll do the same like that's close to the deal that we had with vhs tapes so dvds Mm -hmm. are new they're a little more expensive than vhs so yeah we'll we'll have this deal the percentage will be a little bit higher because it's new and you know everything but blockbuster that could have changed so much i know right at a time warner had that deal then they might not have needed to actually buy any internet companies mm-hmm. and that could have been a huge win for the entire world <laughs> very much so very much so but yeah so they turned down the the offer and the studio responded by lowering its dvd hills or its dvd wholesale price in order to compete with the rental industry so they're like fine blockbuster uh, we'll just lower these and just sell directly to consumer. We'll skip the middleman. And Dang. Walmart sees the opportunity. And in a few years, they surpass they Blockbuster do. as the studio's single largest source of revenue. I mean, I remember like Walmart always had cheap DVDs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they still do. They still do. They're like $2 bin. Yeah. But I mean, I bought a lot of DVDs from Walmart in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And looking back on, I'm like, I bet you I could pull out a lot of those DVDs, and there's a whole bunch of those Jokers or Time Warner. Yeah, I like I would, I would not be surprised to see that. And so other retailers and other film studios followed suit because they saw it working well for Warner Brothers and Walmart. So mm-hmm. many just began selling DVDs below wholesale price in hopes of selling more for with like items with a better profit margin. And it get more foot traffic in your store, uh, and unable to match these prices, Blockbuster's business model was severely impacted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it hurt them. So that was like the first big slip up uh, in a long line of man. That was a really bad decision. Like this this cheesy gordita crunch guy. Like he is not doing well. Which I think even I, at that time, and if we're in like 97, mm-hmm. I'm 12 years old. Yep. I think 12-year-old me could be like, I don't know if that's a good idea. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's it's a pretty blockhead idea. Pun intended, block, blockbuster. Yeah, I, I got it. Yeah. I got it. I just mm-hmm. wasn't going to honor it enough with a smile. Mm-hmm. You should. Uh, <laughs> it was a good one. No. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> Now, in, in kind of response to that kind of slip up, uh, in 1998, Blockbuster created DEJ Productions, which acquired 225 films primarily to provide exclusive content to its Blockbuster stores. So Netflix didn't come up with this idea of throwing money at projects to have exclusive content. No. Interesting. No, they did not. And we'll get to Netflix in a few years um, on this timeline because it's, again, like... There, the world could be a. We could be living in a totally different world had mm-hmm. had one no been a yes. Yep. So uh, they started doing that. They're like, okay, cool, yeah, like we we're gonna try this route. We're gonna have some exclusive content. We're gonna go this way. That way, we've still got stuff that's gonna draw people in. During that same year, Blockbuster bought the Irish video rental store Extra Vision with over two hundred stores in Ireland and the UK. Um, 
And so they're still expanding in other markets and in other areas of the globe. Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Now in 2009, Blockbuster sold off all these places <laughs> because they- Don't need them. Yeah. In late 1998, Blockbuster launched a loyalty program called the Blockbuster Rewards. Uh, so Ooh. get your Blockbuster video card. I found a Blockbuster video card at a Goodwill. I was never old <laughs> enough to have a Blockbuster video card. And we didn't frequent the store enough for my parents to ever get one. But I found one at a Goodwill and it was like three bucks. I was like, hey, I'm buying this. This is mine now. And uh, I lost it in one of the moves that, that I've had over the last few years. I was a little upset by that. Because it's a piece of history. I don't know. Like it's, it's It is a piece of history. Yeah. If I ever find one again, I'm scooping that bad boy up. Um, Attention listeners, if you happen to have a Blockbuster Rewards card, please scan it and email it to us at midnightnarwalpod at gmail.com. Please. Along with your social security number and the bank account information that was attached to that Blockbuster video card. And your mother's maiden name. Yep, that'd be great. Yeah, so that started in 1998. So you could earn free rentals including one older title each month from the category of blockbuster favorites. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so they test launched that in, in a few chains in, a in 1998 and it went nationwide uh, in 1999. And this is also kind of where we start to see them selling off other subsidiaries of blockbuster. So Viacom sold the blockbuster music chain in 1999 in the mid 2000s. The company partnered with Enron in order to attempt a, I know, right? <laughs> you didn't think Enron was coming up in this. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they partnered with Enron in an attempt to create a video on demand service. Now, now that we're at video on demand stuff, let's talk about, Enron. Let's talk about Netflix. <laughs> let's talk about Netflix. All right. So in 2001, Blockbuster began seeing heavy competition from Redbox, Netflix, other video on demand stuff. And even like they were saying that they were hurt by DVRs. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, actually I can see it because you know, if TBS is playing a movie, you just DVR that crap. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you have it saved. Yeah. I like, I would fill up our DVR with a ton of stuff. Oh yeah. In 2001, Reed Hastings, the founder of a then fledgling company called Netflix made a business proposal to Blockbuster CEO. I'm just going to call him John Taco Bell at this point. Um, <laughs> Tiaco kind of sounds like Taco anyway. So yeah, it does. Um, so yeah, he goes up to John Taco and saying, Hey, I have this company called Netflix. Netflix could run Blockbuster's online business in exchange for in-store promotions at y'all's physical locations. Hastings wanted only $50 million to sell Netflix to Blockbuster. Oh my gosh. He was laughed out of the room. Netflix, of course, has grown into a $28 billion business, uh, which now you know has a ton of exclusive content, wins Oscars, has like 100 million plus global subscribers. Had that no been a yes, we'd be in a very different world right now. <laughs> Blue and yellow would still be prominent. Mm -hmm. Very much so. They had the chance to, they had the chance to buy Netflix. Like it could have. For cheap. For very cheap. I mean, yeah, it would have been the best business turnaround ever. Like, cause they were hurting. Uh, well, like, but to be fair, like we think that, however, 
at that point, Netflix itself wouldn't be Netflix. It would be Blockbuster and have to fall under all of the ideas and everything else that John Taco Man, yeah. who noted idea man, John Taco Man, yeah. would, would decree. And I have a feeling even if like, yes, it's hard to say, oh man, you could have owned Netflix and boy, that would have changed everything. It might have, but at the same time, it might have not. Yeah, maybe we wouldn't have gotten Stranger Things. Maybe maybe that just wouldn't have. We probably happened. wouldn't have. Like a lot of the Netflix originals, maybe they just wouldn't have. I mean, there is a universe where they're Blockbuster originals. Uh, mm-hmm. There's also a universe where Blockbuster bought Netflix and it didn't really change. Still tanked. It. Still tanked. Because And I know we're going to get to this here shortly, so I hope I'm not jumping the gun too much. If I am, you can just edit no, it out. No, you're fine. But, I mean, I remember getting netflix and like my dad getting netflix Mm -hmm. and of course this is when you had to pick your dvds that would be mailed to you yeah and then you'd have to mail them back and i number one it was like the coolest thing but then blockbuster launched basically the same thing yeah just we're blockbuster now and we switched to blockbuster because I'm not sure why. I'm sure there were reasons for it, but my dad was like, no, no, we're going with Blockbuster. And I mean, my dad's always, I mean, growing up, like I have very vivid memories of going to Blockbuster stores, but also like my dad, we weren't necessarily loyal to Blockbuster stores because like we'd also visit Hollywood videos, which also had a thing. So we bounced back and forth between the two, like, don't know why, I don't know if it was just like on whatever whim my dad had at the time, because I mean, literally they were at, like the big entrance to the shopping center on one side is a standalone blockbuster video. On the other side is a standalone Hollywood videos. And so lately that's the entrance to this huge shopping center and we jump back and forth. But I remember just that time of like, okay, so blockbuster is coming back in the fight. They're going to survive. And then Netflix is like, Oh, are you doing our thing? Now we're going to do live streaming. And so they had that thing. And so we switched back to Netflix because they had a live streaming, even though everything at the beginning live streaming was garbage. Like they were, literally there was nothing on there that anyone's ever heard of. Yeah. But it was but still, it's, it's just interesting. The concept of it though was still so mm-hmm. like, whoa. So yeah, that buy that was, and it was seven. You don't have to wait for the DVD. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that. We'll definitely get to that. Like it's coming up. So I'm glad you brought that up. Going back to that, that partnership with Enron that I talked about. So <laughs> the wackiest thing of this whole, I, whole I know. episode for me. So yeah, they were like, Hey, Enron, we want to create a video on demand service. Cause this guy from Netflix came by and had this idea and we laughed at him out of the room, but we actually think we might use it. So the agreement was supposed to last for 20 years. So it would have wow. wrapped up. It would have wrapped up now, basically. Uh huh. Um, Enron terminated the deal two months, three months in oh. over fears that Blockbuster would not be able to provide sufficient films for the service. If Enron thinks your business model, <laughs> yeah, boy, that's got to say something. Mm-hmm. So in 2002, after many bad business deals because of John Taco and Enron leaving them and Netflix being laughed out, they acquired the movie trading company, which is a Dallas chain that buys, sells, and trades movies and games to hopefully study and get in on that potential business model. Yeah. They, they also acquired DVD Rental Central, which would eventually become Blockbuster Online, which is what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, 
on or around October 14th, 2004, Blockbuster was spun off from Viacom. Online DVD subscriptions were introduced on Blockbuster.com. Blockbuster rolled out Game Rush, which was an in-store concept to approximately 450 domestic company-operated stores. Hey, I remember renting video games from Blockbuster. We had original Xbox. Yep. Hey, we had an original Xbox too. And yeah, that's that's what I do. In its peak, 2004, Blockbuster had more than 9,000 stores worldwide. Wow. That's a lot of stores. Mm Mm-hmm. In December of 2004, Blockbuster announced its intention to pursue a hostile takeover of Hollywood Video, its major U.S. competitor. Uh Uh-huh. After several extensions of a tender offer, Blockbuster withdrew to FTC opposition. To counter the Blockbuster offer, Hollywood Video agreed to a buyout in January 2005 by a smaller competitor, the Dothan, Alabama-based Movie Gallery. Since then, movie. Okay. Since then, movie gallery has filed for bankruptcy twice, and its entire chain of stores has been liquidated. Worked out well for them. Worked out well for them. Worked out well for everybody. <laughs> I do kind of like though that Hollywood videos is like, you know what? Screw you, Blockbuster. We really hate you. Yep. And we'd rather we'd rather file for bankruptcy five years before you do, rather than be absorbed by you. Yeah. Wow. It was. And that and you know that that's actually a business decision that actually worked out in in blockbuster's favor oh yeah yeah because there's no way taking on like hey let's have more stores you guys would have actually helped them so once again john taco man's trying to do the absolute wrong thing again the retail chains are still doing well like i said 2004 they were at peak i'd say like in terms of Mm -hmm. how many stores they had but they were also as a company as a whole, they were going into debt. Like they were taking on so much debt. They were not doing well financially because of poor leadership, because of poor decisions. No. Um, Yeah. Because of not innovating. They were behind the eight ball. So in May of 2005, financer Carl Eichen waged a successful proxy fight to add himself and two other members to the board. All right. Yeah. Uh, I can accuse Blockbuster of overpaying chairman John Taco Man. No way. Yeah. Not him. He had received $51.6 million in compensation. Goodness gracious. For the year 2004 alone. No. Yeah. Like, I thought you were about to say for his entire time. No, 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 no. no. Like for 2004. They should have sold him and bought Netflix. Overpaid. Like, Like they paid him more. Then they could have bought Netflix for. Mm-hmm. So there's now company infighting because Iken is like, hey, we're overpaying our boss. Let's get him out of there. Mm-hmm. And so Iken was also at odds with Taco Man on how to revive profit at Blockbuster, how to bring us back. Taco Man uh, got rid of late fees in January of 2005. Just got rid of late fees. That might have been his worst decision yet because there's no incentive for me to return my copy of Independence Day now, John Taco Man. I think I'm going to keep this. This is mine now. Because you're not going to do anything about it because you can't. Nope. So he scrapped late fees. He started an internet service, decided to keep the company independent while Iken wanted to sell out to a private equity firm. Um, He wanted to keep late fees he wanted to restructure probably shrink the company a little bit mm-hmm. re- like he wanted to save the company 
and Taco Man was like, nah, I got this. I'm the Taco Man. I we're going to wrap this thing in a metaphorical quesadilla. Yep. And we're going to keep on adding on. That's yep. where you find true success. Yep. Also, 2005 Blockbuster, again, it began to campaign promote its no more late fee policy. So it wasn't even like they just stopped charging. They made ads. So they paid money to advertise that they were no longer going to take money from you for holding on to your copy for however long you want to hold on to your copy. Oh my gosh. Why? <laughs> really poor business decision. <laughs> I mean, I get that it's like, hey, we're trying to be more consumer friendly and we're trying to make it easier for people to feel like they can feel comfortable coming to our stores and renting movies from us that if you make a mistake and if you somehow forget that, you know, we're not going to come after you because we're the good guys. We're not the bad guys like Hollywood video. Yep. And like, I get the optics of it but taking 30 seconds to think through because number one you know like that's a decision that was not no one in any actual store who dealt with people was consulted in any way shape form ever because anyone who deals with people could tell you and will tell you you know what people are the worst i hate people like you can't work in retail or anything like that without immediately like oh no people are, are literal garbage like they're horrible and if you give them an inch, they're going to take all of it. And just like, no, don't be stupid. You have to have this rule because otherwise, yes, we'll not own any DVDs anymore or we'll own them. But all these people will very kindly store them at their houses for us. Yep. Poor model. So it gets worse, unfortunately. How can it get worse than that? <laughs> yeah. So in 2007, a billion dollar campaign called total access was introduced into um, and it was a strategy to compete with netflix through blockbuster online you could rent a dvd mm -hmm. and then you could receive a new movie for free when you returned it to a physical blockbuster location not i don't think keep but i mean we talked yeah. about this they're not charging late fees so you could keep it uh, i guess now while this was a major success like it got a lot of people in Every free movie costs the company two bucks. <laughs> so multiply that two bucks by thousands and thousands of people doing that across mm -hmm. the 9,000 plus locations. Goodbye, um, your profit margin. Yep. But the hope was that it would track enough new subscribers to cover the loss. Netflix did feel threatened. And Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, approached John Taco, who was still in charge, uh, with a suggestion and said, hey, Netflix will buy Blockbuster's online business. In return, a new system would be introduced where customers could return their, their movies to a Blockbuster store from Netflix. So like if you got it from Netflix, you could return it to a Blockbuster store. Wow. So not six years after he offered to sell his company to Blockbuster, he's going to Blockbuster and saying, hey, you guys are doing this wrong. Um, I'll buy this from you. It will help me out because mm -hmm. I get one of your assets and it will help you guys out a little bit longer. Because people will actually come to your stores now. Yeah. Uh, so, but before the deal could be realized, board member Carl Eichen intervened. So 
he intervened, refusing to let the company lose any more money through total access because they're still bleeding. Like mm-hmm. Netflix is only if it's like that office episode where Michael Scott paper company is, is like losing so much money because they keep their prices so low, but they can only keep customers because they keep their prices so low. Iken is like, you are losing Blockbuster so much money by allowing this total access thing to keep going. I don't care if we're making Netflix scared. We can't afford this any longer. So they finally kick John Taco Man out. They finally get him out. The deal could not go through because it was like in that weird overlap time where John Mm -hmm. Taco is being fired. They're bringing someone new in. They brought a guy in named James Keyes. Keyes approached Hastings and said, hey, I know you had this proposal with my predecessor. I just want to tell you up yours. We're not going to do this. Um, like, wow, coming in strong. Oh, yeah. Um, he'd like fully rejected Hastings and was like, screw you. Blockbuster's going to live forever. Um, Blue and yellow. Well, <laughs> and I don't know if it's like pattern that Blockbuster decided to stick with. James Keyes was the former CEO and president of 7 Eleven. So- you got to be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> So the problem isn't necessarily the CEO. The problem is the board of trustees that runs this thing who keep going, let's go hire people who are running these second bit sort of organizations that don't understand the future and don't know, like, we want to appeal only to white trash. <laughs> like that's what they're going. Just stop it. They they were the company was out of Fort Lauderdale, remember, for a long time. Okay. A long time. Once again, everything makes sense. Again. <laughs> you have now just recentered everything for me. Yep. Okay. Yep. Fort Lauderdale. Cool. I don't need to know anything else. Yep. So I've forgotten. Yeah. So James Keys fully rejected Netflix's offer. Raised the price for online DVD rentals put an end to the free movie deal. So as a consequence, Blockbuster's online previous massive growth quickly stopped. See, I wonder if that's when my dad switched back to Netflix from it's Blockbuster. It's 2007 at this time. So possible. Probably. It's very possible. Now, John Taco Man's departure also brought some more controversy because his severance package, which was $24.7 million dollars, no way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, hey, we'll pay you almost half of what you made last year just to leave. Basically, yeah. They're bleeding money. Like, it is outrageous. Yeah. So, also, you talked about the fight between HD DVD versus Blu-ray. Blockbuster decided in 2006 that it would back Blu-ray instead of HD DVD, which surprisingly it's the first good decision that they've mm-hmm. made as a company in a long time well i remember like because same sort of thing like my dad you know, like i was always been very much into technology mm-hmm. and i remember him um like we he had actually cited more he's like yeah it's gonna be hd dvd it's not gonna be blu-ray it's gonna be hd dvd i'm just seeing these signs and then when blockbuster said nope we're going Blu-ray. Yeah. My dad went, "Oh, I was wrong. That's decided. It. It's now. It's it's now final." Yep. And yeah, Blockbuster really. I I have a feeling. Oh, and now you- of course I don't didn't actually look at it, but I I'm fairly certain that that decision by Blockbuster is what won Blu-ray to be Blu-ray. 
Mm -hmm. I believe it. So now we've entered into the James Keyes era, the final era of Blockbuster. Started Um, out aggressively. Started out. Out of the gate, swinging. Swinging at someone who wasn't even interested in him. No, like who legitimately had like for Blockbuster's success was Netflix's failure. And so, but genuinely was like, hey, like you guys, I don't know. Maybe it was like, I feel sorry for you guys. Like, let me help you guys out. Like, I don't, yeah. Who knows? I don't know why, but he might've just been a nice guy. But yeah, so James Keyes, former president of 7-Eleven. He's the new chairman and CEO of Blockbuster. Fort Lauderdale. Yep. He introduced a new business strategy that included enhancements to existing stores. So like revamping them because that'll bring new people in. Let's just pour more money into this place. And we need more yellow. Yeah. We get some more yellow up in here. Yep. So the following month in August of 2007, Blockbuster acquired MovieLink for $6.6 million, forecasting a shift to streaming video. MovieLink was an online service that allowed customers to download movie rentals from a library over 6,000 films. And it was created in 2002 by five major studios, including Warner Brothers, MGM, Paramount, Sony, and Universal. Now, I remember MovieLink because you could could buy a DVD from a store, you'd open it up, and there'd be that little plastic sheet on the side. And it's like, here's your MovieLink code. And you'd go to this website, type in your code, hit download, and you'd have a digital copy of your movie. And it felt really sketch, even though it was official because it was in the seal, like it was in the thing. Oh, yeah. I remember MovieLink very well. The last movie that I I got with MovieLink was... Uh, like the Get Smart remake, uh, like <laughs> I think 2009 or whatever that, whenever that one came out. Yeah, I remember that. So, uh, Blockbuster bought it and was like, "We're going to use this to help with streaming," which not a bad decision. Not a bad decision. No, the move gave Blockbuster the op- opportunity to move away from the unprofitable total access DVD by mm-hmm. mail model in favor of online streaming, despite growing competition from Netflix and Redbox. The company downplayed that threat. They chose instead to focus on Apple and Walmart as their primary competition. Bad decision. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 2007, September 14th, Blockbuster bought a number of retail stores in the UK. Again, they're still buying up places. Just stop it. Uh, The sale secured employment for approximately 450 employees across 59 stores in the UK. But that's 450 more people you have to pay money to now. Yeah. And again, we're leading up to a major financial recession. In the, in, yep. In, so like, it's not looking good for, for Blockbuster. No. <laughs> February 17th, 2008, Blockbuster proposed a buyout of the struggling Circuit City. <laughs> <laughs> we're a dying company. You know what we should do? Buy another dying company. and That will solve everything. Yeah, perfect. After some due diligence, though, a uh, review of Circuit City's financial books, Blockbuster withdrew its offer from 2008, which again, just to, goes to show how bad Circuit City was that a that Blockbuster, mm-hmm. who was also in very crappy financial shape, was like looking at your books and is like, ooh, yeah, no, this is, this is a bad choice. Um, this makes us look really good, you guys. Yeah, right? So analysts were not in favor to the proposed deal, viewing it as like, a desperate effort to save two really struggling retailers rather than like a bull that have nothing to do with each other. Honestly. Yeah. So 
Subsequently, Circuit City files for bankruptcy in 2008, and after liquidating all of its stores, ceased operation in 2009. Bad decision. Glad it didn't come through for them. Absolutely. At the beginning of 2010, Blockbuster had 6,500 stores, of which 4,000 were in the U.S. So six years prior, they had 9,000. Yeah. Yeah. So Closing some doors. Closing some doors. That's at the beginning of 2010. They're at 6,500 stores, 4,000 in the U.S. That number fell to 3,425 stores in October that same year. Ah, ah. Mm-hmm. So they, they closed down quite a bit of their stores. So that's a closing how many every how many hours? I don't know. I don't know that math. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, in the United States, it planned to close between 810 to 960 retail stores. Now, like they, they marketed it as like, yeah, like we're closing these stores, but we're going to open up 10,000 Blockbuster Express video stores uh, oh. and, re- and retail rental kiosks later this year bad decision at this point 43 million u.s households have blockbuster memberships that's significant still significant number february of 2010 blockbuster ceased all its operations in portugal and decided hey we're gonna not expand anymore overseas like this in march of 2010 blockbuster began additional daily rates so basically a late fee (laughs) like hey this used to make us money let's go back to this why did we ever stop doing this having already used this procedure in other countries it seemed to be like oh we'll just go back to this we'll do this also in march of 2010 price waterhouse coopers blockbusters independent registered public accounting firm Mm -hmm. issued its audit opinion disclosing substantial doubt that Blockbuster's ability to continue. (laughs) This report included in Blockbuster's 10K SEC filing. Later, March 2010, Blockbuster issued a bankruptcy warning after continued drops in revenue. Is that worse or better than a bankruptcy watch? I can't ever get that straight. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're not tornadoes. No. Like all this is happening within days of each other. Like it's not looking good. (laughs) Nope. By April 1st, 2010, Carl Eichen had resigned from Blockbuster's board of directors and sold all of his remaining Blockbuster stock. Yeah, Uh, he should have done that 10 years before. Yep. Blockbuster paired up with Time Warner to have Warner Brothers movies made available in Blockbuster stores on the DVD release date and not be subject to a four-week delay. Similar agreements were also made with Universal and 20th Century Fox. They're trying. They're, they're trying, but they're it's trying. too late. It's too little too late at this point. Liquidation of Movie Gallery began in 2010, May of that year, eliminating Blockbuster's primary competitor. Um, like Movie Gallery, again, it's it's a outdated, outmoded business model. Mm-hmm. It is definitely a product of its time. You don't see yep. things anymore. And so... Blockbuster held on for a long time because of how successful it was, but not not because of how successful it is. It was writing still off the money that it had made in the 80s and 90s. Yep. Throughout the late 90s and 2000s. Name recognition goes a long way. It does. So during that month of May, a descendant shareholder, Gregory S. Meyer, in an effort to be elected to Blockbuster's board of directors, engaged in another proxy battle with Blockbuster's oh, board. Yep. Alleging that the board had been responsible for significant destruction of value to shareholders. 
I mean, he's not wrong. You guys are proactively trying to lose us money with the business decisions. I mean, because it's got to be purposeful at this point. No it, one can be this stupid, right? It, it looks really bad. <laughs> Meyer was elected to the board at Blockbuster Sharehold meeting in Dallas in June of that year. In July of that year, the company was delisted from the New York Stock Exchange oh, af wow. after shareholders failed to pass a reverse stock split planned aimed at heading off involuntary delisting because of the stocks trading went below $1 per share. Ooh. Blockbuster was unable to make a $42.4 million interest payment to bondholders and was given until August of, the, of 2010 to pay off that debt. The company hired a new CRO, a chief restructuring officer to come in and reshape stuff to say like, all right, we're not doing well, help us out. Fix uh, us. And they did, they hired him to satisfy some bondholder demands and recapitalize the company, but they still failed to pay the debts. They extended the deadline to September 30th and in August 26, 2010, news media reported that Blockbuster was planning to file a prepackaged Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Mm -mm -mm. Mm -hmm. The CFO resigned. James resigned. Like, a lot of resignations were happening. Oh, uh, I'm sure. It was definitely an abandoned ship. On September 23rd, officially, they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy uh, protection due to challenging losses, $900 million in debt, and strong competition from Netflix, Redbox, and video on demand services. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. And down um, goes the Titanic. Down goes the Titanic. And Hollywood Video, Movie Gallery, all those places filed for Chapter 7, which is a little different than Chapter 11. Mm -hmm. But in 2011, it was reported that Blockbuster and its creditors had not come up with a Chapter 11 exit plan. So they had no way of like... No, because you can't. No. It just doesn't exist when you're that much. Mm -mm. And a company would be sold for $300 million or more along with taking over debts and leases and stuff like that. Mm -mm. Blockbuster admitted that it might not be able to meet financial obligations. Hey guys, there's a chance here yeah. that we might not be able to do all that we're supposed to. Mm -hmm. So in March 1st, 2011, the U.S. Department of Justice filed a claim disclosing that Blockbuster did not have the funds to continue reorganizing and should just liquidate. March 28th, 2011, South Korean telecommunications company SK Telecom made a surprising bid to buy Blockbuster. Dish Network had also expressed an interest in bidding, as did Carl Icahn, who had recently <laughs> stepped down <laughs> despite calling Blockbuster the worst investment I have ever made. <laughs> but I want it, I want back in. Mm -hmm. Dish Network eventually won the auction on April Lucky 6, them. 2011, agreeing to buy Blockbuster for $320 million Good. and the assumption of $87 million in liabilities and other obligations. In 2011, nice. it was announced that Dish would keep only 500 Blockbuster stores open. Seems more than I would have guessed. Mm -hmm. This acquisition was complete in April of that year. Dish Network told the U.S. bankruptcy court that it needed a little bit more time to negotiate with landlords in an effort to keep more than 600 stores open. So there was a little like, oh, like, hey, like we might be able to over, over yeah. deliver here. Um, the Blockbuster landlords objected to its assumptions of leases 
and uh, that it sought to assign to soon-to-be owner Dish Network. So claiming that they did not have adequate assurance that the new owner would honor these new leases and stuff. So Blockbuster signed a deal with ITV Studios to launch ITV programs, release on DVDs, Blu-rays, whatever. So it's still weird. Like the company is dead. Blockbuster is gone, but they're still around. Like it's just this empty shell of what's what of what what's was. And like it's a zombie over, company at this point. All over the all over the, the nation, you're seeing Blockbuster covered up by a store closing or a sorry we're closed sign. Like all over the place, you're seeing that. My local Blockbuster shut down and was turned into a gym, which I think is very humorous and ironic because <laughs> the type of, I don't know. Uh, not the same person not in both stores. No, not really. <laughs> now Dish Network owns Blockbuster and they technically still do over the, the last Good decade. Good for them. Over the last decade, store after store after store after store has closed. Yep. Do you know how many Blockbusters are still in existence today? I do know. The answer is one. The answer is one. Do you know where it is? It's in Washington. It's not in Washington. It is in Bend, no. Oregon. It's in Oregon. Yep. It's in Oregon. Yep. They're the same place. Basically. Washington, yeah. Oregon. It's just basically the same state. Colloquially known as the last blockbuster. And they still have a contract with Dish Network that like they re-up all the time. But they don't have support anymore from blockbuster because they're the only blockbuster so um yeah they're like they still operate like a blockbuster would you know they but they can't they don't have all of the like oh we're gonna get this new shipment of dvds in from warner brothers all of their stuff the 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 manager of this blockbuster has to like go out to target and walmart buy out oh a my ton gosh. of stuff um and so that they can use those as their rental discs and stuff. Wow. And on this documentary, The Last Blockbuster, which is great, you see her going through like how she operates this thing. The computer system that she used is still the computer system. Oh, wow. That all the way back to David Cook, he created the system. It has not been updated since like the late 90s. And so they have to use computers from the late 90s because it can't work on new computers these days and once these computers die the system's gone it's gone and so they are like essentially piecemealing together parts from old like blockbuster computers to to keep this thing running it's it's a mom and pop video store with the blockbuster name but once Mm -hmm. it goes out of business there's no more blockbuster there used to be a blockbuster in in uh, Alaska, and it was very famously like promoted by John Oliver on his show uh, <laughs> last week tonight. And he's like, "Hey, we want to keep this blockbuster in business. We're gonna donate a bunch of like movie memorabilia for them to put up in their store." And it was all like Russell Crowe movie memorabilia that they had got from okay. a, from an auction that Russell Crowe put on. And like one of the things that that they donated to this blockbuster was a was Russell Crowe's jock strap from Cinderella Man. <laughs> okay. So it was and like there was some other stuff from like Gladiator and other things that he was in. 
And once Alaskan Blockbuster went out of business, all of those things were shipped down to the Bend, Oregon location. So it's got Russell Crowe's jockstrap and other things. It's got, oh, goody. Yeah, it's got computers from the 90s that are falling apart, and it's still got the Blockbuster name on it. And that is what Blockbuster is right now. That's and what's left. the most it will ever be. Yeah, it's not growing. Like it's not coming back. Like nope. Once once that dies, it's gone. And it will. It will. It definitely will. Whether that's in the next year or in the next ten years, it's just gonna it's gonna be gone. Because it's family owned right now. But like how it works is she has to re up specifically with Dish Network every you know ever however many years, mm-hmm. and eventually dish network's gonna be like why are we wasting our like time and resources on this like like what the heck well i don't think dish network does anything for it like the only thing dish network does is allow them to use the name blockbuster yeah i would imagine yeah which at this point be like okay come on like if it was any well not any company but this is like okay if it was like a company that's actually you know has humans who have souls working in it they'd just be like whatever you don't pay for this like you hold on as long as you can but just mm-hmm. no one else can use it we're giving you guys you can use it for however much however long you want yeah you this specific people and then then it's over and we still retain all rights and everything else to blockbuster yep but of course it's dish network and uh there yeah, are yeah. no humans with souls there no no no. they're gonna they're gonna nickel and dime them to death and then once it's gone they're gonna hoard that name forever it's, even though it's, then at that point it means nothing it's you're not even getting anything from nothing it. absolutely nothing right now like there's petitions to make it like a museum like oh yeah which i could like people treat it like that anyway like people mm-hmm. are flying all over the globe to go to this blockbuster <laughs> like if i i'm not going out of my way but if i'm ever if i ever find myself in oregon i might i'd probably go go there to experience it one more time like it's weird because like I have all these fond memories of going to Blockbuster, running up and down the aisles, picking up a movie, wanting to get it. Dad's like, no. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much. He he went in already knowing what he's getting. We'd sit down on the couch at the house. We'd watch it as a family. It'd be a good time. And like I can still remember the smell of a Blockbuster, the feeling of going into one. Like if I'm in Oregon, I would I would probably go to this thing. But there's people that are flying from like the other side of the globe to come to this place. Yeah, they need to get their priorities straight. They do need to get their priorities straight. But making a museum, it's practically what it is anyway. So it, it is, yeah. Well, I would say thank you for telling me this, but now I'm depressed. No, don't be depressed. I think it's cool. I think it's a unique thing that like it's it's sad that the company's no longer around. But honestly, like if it was still around today. It would not be blockbuster. Like, oh no, it'd be look at, it'd be Netflix. Look, look at how, like, yeah, it would be Netflix. Look at how, like, a company like Amazon has evolved. You look back a hundred years ago and see like stuff was ordered in the Sears catalog, which the Sears catalog became Sears, which Sears is now like basically going out a bit. Like, oh, they're, they're gone. They're yeah. There's no Sears anymore because of Amazon. Like, innovation happens. And this is, I mean, this is capitalism. This is the beauty of Mm -hmm. capitalism. Like they didn't innovate. And it's a lesson that you can learn from this business 
it's this unique thing that like our generation has experienced the rise and subsequent fall of a company that we all thought was going to be around for basically ever. And because advancements in technology, changes in culture, changes in everything, poor business decisions, like it led to its, its demise. But it's cool to think about what could have been. It's fun to look back. And I think it, most people just assume like, oh, Netflix showed up and they went out of business. But in reality, like, yeah, Netflix showed up, but they just had a lot of bad leadership and bad mm -hmm. business decisions that led to their downfall. Yeah, because they were already falling before Netflix. Mm -hmm. Netflix was just kind of final nail in the coffin. Yep. Actually, I feel like the real nail in the coffin was Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale, John Taco. No, just Fort Lauderdale and, and just the fact that it existed at all, and they chose to go there. <laughs> we're going to put our headquarters in Fort Lauderdale. Okay, you're done. You're, you're, nope, you cannot last. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the history of Blockbuster, my man. Wow. Yeah. A lot more there than I knew. Yeah. That's what I thought. I watched this documentary. I was like, this is it. I love this. Like, <laughs> this is awesome. And it's funny. Like I were involved in, in ministry at our churches. Like I'm, I, I've talked to like students about Blockbuster and they're like, no, nah, that doesn't seem like a real thing. I'm like, no, it was a, it was a huge thing. Like, they're like, you had to go somewhere, physically pick something out and bring it home. I'm like, yeah, that's what I did. It's like a grocery uh, store for movies. For movie. It's like a library for movies. They're like, what's a library? I'm like, oh, gosh. See, that's why uh, I went with grocery store. Yeah. Because I'm more hip and cool than you. You are more hip and cool than me. <laughs> that's why you're the favorites. <laughs> the favorite host. <laughs> I didn't so, say favorite. I said most important. Again, you keep putting words in my mouth. Again, reading in between the lines there. But uh, but yeah, I thought it was a unique topic. I thought it was a cool story. I also learned a lot more about like VHS stuff that I didn't allude to. Like there's some like some little fun facts here. What do you think the best selling movie sold on VHS was? The Ten Commandments. No. It was what decade was it made in? Nineties. Independence Day. Nineteen ninety five. It's animated. Toy Story. Lion King. Oh, I should have known that. That's way too early for Toy Story. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, 32 million copies were sold, generating 52 wow. million in revenue. Yeah. Wow. The first American films released on VHS were The Sound of Music, Patton, and MASH, all in the 1970s. I've seen all those. Well, all right, then. I would say cool, but I'm still just kind of sad. So kind of sad? Watch I'm, still, it, I'm just, just kind of sad. Like... Again, it's more of a don't be sad, it's over, be happy you, you, it happened and you have to kind of be a part of it. Watch yeah, it. sure, we can go with that. I can't recommend this documentary enough. It's awesome. So check it out. On hey Netflix. Netflix. Which is hey like, Netflix. Which for me, the fact that it's on Netflix is so full circle. Netflix is like, yeah, you know that company that like we helped bring like bring down? Yeah, you can put a documentary about it like – we will money. pay all the money for that documentary. Yeah. There's How like, much money do you want? Here's three times that amount. Have fun. Yeah. It is is cool. It is a cool little thing. So I'd give it a shot. Give it a give it a watch. I'll be checking it out. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, this has been the Midnight Narwhals episode on the rise and fall of Blockbuster. I hope you really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun uh, sharing this story with you guys. Please email us at the midnight normal pod at gmail.com please do 
please. We've not received it. Now we're just sounding desperate. We've sounded desperate for the entirety of of, like (laughs) every recording. We're begging for emails. Who does that? Emails are, see, this is us not adapting to the Mm -hmm. future. Yeah. This, DM okay, us. I guess DM we've got we've got like a ne- that, what another like, year at best. Like, probably there's no there's no future here now. <laughs> we can't even adapt to emails and moving forward from there. Yeah, that's 2005. It is 2005. Like we're in stages of blockbuster right mm. now. So this if is, you see, now now I'm super depressed. Thanks for this. You're welcome. I'm glad I could help with that. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. I've been James. I'm Andy, the most humble host. Have a great week. We'll we'll talk at you next time. Okay, bye. Bye.